This is going to be a little bit of inside baseball, but preaching on Trinity Sunday is sort of a gotcha for a lot of preachers because there is very little that you can say technically about the Holy Trinity that isn't a heresy. And not only would it be heresy, it would probably be heresy for which somebody or several somebodies fought and died centuries ago. Every approximation, every generalization, every summary is somehow not quite orthodox enough. Fortunately, I don't think that it is very interesting just to recite for you what the orthodox definition of the Holy Trinity is, and so I shan't. It's sort of like how does God exist is the least interesting question you can ask about God. But I also don't like to assume that everybody playing along knows all of the details. So I will tell you that the Holy Trinity is God. (laughs) Historically rendered as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, in a feat of math, God is simultaneously one and three. Hence, we are not Unitarians who believe in the oneness of God and do not confess the divinity of Jesus of Nazareth, nor are we polytheists who worship several distinct gods. We are Trinitarian monotheists, and we are special. (laughs) See page four of your bulletin for the Nicene Creed for details. This is my last sermon, and in fact, my last day as part of the staff of the Episcopal Church of St. Martin. It would be memorable, but ultimately rude, to stream out of here in a flash of unorthodox pronouncements. But I hope that by now you know that that's not really my style. I prefer to ruffle feathers with surprisingly orthodox pronouncements. Quoting Jesus directly is usually a fine recipe for disruption. Since today is the Feast of the Holy Trinity and is a perfect day for celebrating pride alongside the city of Davis, I have several very authoritative theological pronouncements to make. The reason that I have chosen not to recite any $3 church words about persons and substances for you this morning is because doctrinal purity is not the most important aspect of our life with God. And as such, the Holy Trinity is not merely a complex theological concept to be comprehended, but a relational reality to be lived. God for us, God with us, God in us. We are deeply blessed by a God who shows up to us in more than one way. As the one who created us and loves us as we are. As the one who teaches us how to be fully human and who redeemed that humanity from sin and death. And as the one who empowers us to live into the fullness of our created being. You may find yourself deeply connecting with one person of the Trinity, or perhaps with a different one at different times of your life. There may be days and seasons where the immensity of the cosmos fills you with awe, and you are bowled over with love for God the Creator. 
There may be days or seasons when you reach for redemption and newness and you sit at the foot of the cross of Jesus. There may be days or seasons when you feel bold, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. God for us, God with us, God in us. And I know that I said that I wasn't going to do $3 church words, but one of my favorite things to do is verbify a noun, like to say theologizing, as in doing theology. That's maybe like a $2 church word. So the doctrine of the Trinity, which we do have, I am just choosing to skirt, came about like so much of Christian scripture and thought through the people of God theologizing their experience. The premise of God as three and one comes from the lived reality of those who walked the earth with Jesus of Nazareth. Encounters with Jesus seemed like encounters with God, but he also spoke about God as being distinct from himself. So that's at least two-ness. And then, like in today's gospel reading, Jesus spoke of the spirit of God being among his disciples as advocate and comforter. They experienced this presence of God when Jesus was gone from them. So that's different in another way. Hence, threeness. Our Christian ancestors wondered and wondered about this, seeking ways to express this mystery with poetry and precision. Ultimately, they decided, very hasty paraphrase, that it was just all of the above. God is one and God is three. God is here and there and everywhere. God for us, God with us, God in us. Because God is one and also three, God defies normativity. God is radically creative, engaging in miraculous, life-giving acts throughout space and time. We, as creatures of God and as God's beloved children, are co-creators of the world God loves. We are part and parcel of God's dream, the building blocks of beloved community. You, dear one, are a beloved child of God, as you are and as you are becoming. Whether you know how to define yourself as your full self, you have wholeness and freedom and identity in Christ. You are a member of the family of God. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are a tongue of fire in the Spirit's movement throughout the world. There's a hymn that is easily my all-time favorite, was sung at my ordination, and almost any time I have ever had control over the hymn selection. It is hymn number 710 in Evangelical Lutheran Worship. It was written by William Whitla to a tune by Gustav Holst in 1989. It was written in the midst of a tremendous global upheaval, namely the dissolution of the Soviet Union. The hymn calls upon our rich scriptural poetry and the writer's dreams for a different world. It demands streams of living justice to flow down upon the earth. It demands freedom for captives, rights for workers, dignity for the poor, food for the hungry, service to the neighbor, healing of the nations, 
you get the picture. In the third verse, he writes, your city's built to music. We are the stones you seek. Your harmony is language. We are the words you speak. You may see how this specifically calls to me as a musician and as a word nerd and as a firm believer in the power of both of those things. We are the words God speaks into the universe. And I will take us on an interpretive leap to say that the words we speak reflect the God we worship. The words we use to describe who God is and who God loves and what God wants for us and our neighbors have life-altering effects. We can use our words to bless and invite and comfort and we can use our words to diminish and reject and harm. The words we use or do not use may seem unimportant to us, but may mean everything to someone else. On this day, June 12th, 2016, 49 beloved children of God were murdered and dozens more were wounded at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. They were killed because they were queer, and because they were celebrating that aspect of their identity together. In the 2016 legislative session, 48 bills in about a dozen states were introduced that the ACLU categorized as harmful to the LGBT community. During the 2022 legislative session, 28 states have introduced more than 300 pieces of anti-LGBT legislation. These laws are designed to strike fear in the hearts of queer Americans and their families and those who love them. They're full of words that dehumanize and stigmatize and criminalize the very being of our queer siblings, especially transgender people and especially transgender children. Their goal, they claim, is to protect children, but the reality is that these laws put all of our children in danger and teach all of our children that who they are and who they love and how they look and what they feel to be their truest self could be shameful. A 16-year-old child has already attempted to take his own life rather than face the cruelty of the new laws in Texas. After being routinely misgendered in school and facing other politically motivated harm for being transgender. This is one reason why it is important on Holy Trinity Sunday and appropriate for such a gender exploratory time as Pride Month to discuss not only which pronouns we use to describe ourselves and each other, but which pronouns we use to refer to God. There are many options. One came to me from my colleague, the Reverend Broderick Greer, who has said that God's pronoun is God. God is already a word that we use to signify the unsignifiable, so we needn't take it any further than God. You may like that option. Try it on. Another option on the table, especially excellent for the three-in-one and one-in-three, is both the plural and singular they. God is three, that's a them. God is also one, which is them. Being a trinity, God definitionally rejects the binary. 
The singular they has been part of the English language for centuries, and it's high time we got used to it and put it to work. So you can talk about God with a genderless pronoun, and you can mean just them or all three of them. You may like that option. Try it on. Another way to look at this is that God, the creator, does not have a gender, and the man, Jesus of Nazareth, has a gender, and that the Holy Spirit is the divine feminine. We can come at that from a few different angles. In Hebrew, the spirit is rendered as breath, which is ruach, which is feminine. And in Latin, she's wisdom, which is sophia, which is feminine. If translation arguments aren't interesting to you, isn't it lovely to have a masculine, a feminine, and a neutral member of the Trinity? Feels balanced, feels whole. And for millennia, women and femmes and people of all non-conforming genders have been marginalized, minoritized, and killed for being not men who dared to see the image of God in ourselves. So as a manner of repairing the breach, we're taking this one. You may like that option. Try it on. You may be confused now. There's a lot going on here with our Trinitarian paradox. And maybe you're still stuck on something that I said six paragraphs ago. That's fine. It's okay to not understand the Trinity. You are in a very excellent company with mostly everyone. Just remember, it's not about grasping the concept, but about living the relationship. God for us, God with us, God in us. And as we wrestle with that during this LGBTQIA Pride Month, we have the distinct privilege to call upon our queer ancestors, saints, siblings, and selves to show us the multiplicity of God. It is queer, as in odd, to be the body of Christ in the world. If we are truly living into the radical creativity of our triune God, we cannot be complete without the full spectrum of human relationship, connection, and love. As Trinitarian monotheists, the observance of Pride Month is not just a token tolerance or we are all equal or the backhanded we are all sinners or the hate the sin, love the sinner. None of that is authentic relationship. We have to not only welcome, but invite difference. Affirm and celebrate queerness and not demand assimilation, but expect our own hearts and minds to be transformed. In whichever way we find ourselves among the dominant demographic group, the majority, the normative, we must be willing to surrender that superiority and be changed by the liberating love of those who have been marginalized and minoritized. We cannot say, come on in, your difference is cool. Change it though to be more like us, but also your difference adds flavor to our sameness. We must first say to ourselves, I am prepared to change. I am prepared to struggle. I am prepared to learn. I am prepared to be transformed. And then we can thank our siblings in Christ who trust us with their truth, their struggle, their authentic expression of their identity, and ask them to show us more of who God is. That is what authentic diversity provides us. 
That is what radical hospitality cultivates. More ways of being human, more ways of meeting God. The Trinity shows us that there is more than one way to express divinity and that we must embrace complexity in order to live abundantly. God for us, God with us, God in us. God for you, God with you, God in you. Amen. Amen.